we're going to start. Everybody, welcome. This is the official start of the message. Now you need to listen to me. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, we're really happy this week. Our house is a disaster. There's carpets, there's suitcases, there's laundry baskets continually in our front living room as each kid and their friend starts moving into our house for the summer. I think I'm going to put a limit on how many shoes people can keep in the foyer because we're starting to look like a used shoe. I don't know what it is, but come to my house. You'll find lots of shoes in the entryway. But uh, the other night it was such a treat because our whole table was full of people and we were around the table. And what did we talk about? Jane wanted to talk about superheroes. Who's your favorite superhero? Is it, you know, Iron Man? Is it Scarlet? You know, Black Widow? Is it Black Panther? Is it Hawkeye? I don't know. You just name off the superheroes. And we all debated the strengths and weaknesses. And somehow we ended up in Star Wars, you know, talking about all the different Star Wars heroes. And I'm like, why do we keep coming back to these subjects? And I'm thinking about supernatural power, right? I'm thinking there's something about these epic stories that has to do with power and how people steward it, their strengths and their weaknesses, their triumphs and their fails, with power, with supernatural gifts. You know, each one of them is uniquely gifted with supernatural powers. And I think these stories resonate with us because we need help. Our world needs help. We have villains. We have heroes and anti-heroes, right? This is the world we live in. And so sometimes we need help. Even the other day, Aaron and I were talking and we we're just talking about how, man, we just feel helpless in one situation or another. And it's just like, we don't like that feeling and it causes us to react in unhealthy ways. We need supernatural help. Um, we were created to relate to God and to know supernatural help, the divine. We are each uniquely gifted, just like superheroes, not just like superheroes, but sort of like, like we each have gifts and strengths that are unique to each one of us. And it's to reflect the image of God in the world. We were designed in God's image. And we do have power, the power God just gives us from being human, but also power from God and the Holy Spirit. The way we wield it can bring death or life. What we have to do is learn to trust, trust in the power and wisdom of God, believing that the Holy Spirit is with us, does not leave us powerless. So how has God gifted you? How are you uniquely gifted? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And how does that affect how you relate to the Holy Spirit? What Holy Spirit gifts do you have? So today... We're on our second Sunday talking about the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as outlined in 1 Corinthians um, 12, 13, and 14. We've been talking about power, signs, and wonders, and gifts that accompany the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm going to tell a little bit more of the story of the Holy Spirit and what we see happening with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to talk specifically about a very strange gift that makes us often very uncomfortable, tongues and interpretation. Are you all so excited? Yes. I was like, oh dear, Lori, praying dangerous prayers. I'm like, it's a beautiful thing 
hold on with me. So let me pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just um, bring peace to us as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit? Would you bring joy? Would you bring faith? Would you bring anticipation, hope to us as we explore the gifts of the Spirit and specifically the gift of tongues and interpretation? Would you fill us up? Would you baptize us today? Would you pour out on us? Would you revive us so we can grow? In Jesus' name, amen. So the four gospel writers each talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. At the end, at Jesus is resurrected, he's coming back, he's seeing his disciples, and they each talk about the Holy Spirit in different ways. And that's what I love about the four different gospel writers. They are just like us. They experience the Holy Spirit. They experience Jesus in unique ways and responded to him in unique ways. In the same way, the body of Christ interprets the gifts of the Spirit in different ways, practices them in different ways, sees them in different ways, and that's okay. As I stand here today, I'm talking to you about how we interpret them, how we use them, how we practice them here, but we're always changing. We're always growing. We're always reevaluating. So just know, hold these things loosely. The Holy Spirit is a wondrous and mysterious thing. We don't have to be so prescriptive or too dogmatic about what the Holy Spirit does, because it's like the wind. Were you all outside yesterday? One minute, the wind was blowing this way. The next minute, it was blowing that way. It was crazy, right? This is the nature of the Holy Spirit. So we hold these things loosely. So I love the gospel of John. John's, I, I always say each one of them is my favorite. I, I don't, I always exaggerate on this, but John's my favorite, <laughs> but I'll say it on each one of them. I think of him as kind of a philosopher, romantic, always talking about the mysteries of the gospel. I mean, John 1, 1, this is like, that's mysterious. It's beautiful. It's like the wind. It's like hard to get something tactical or pragmatic out of it, but it's beautiful. What does he, how does he record Jesus's parting words to the disciples? John 20, 21 through 22. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. There's that wind, that creative breath. Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, doesn't that sound romantic and beautiful and like mysterious? Just whoosh. there's two things I want us to take from that. Peace be with you. Peace. When the Holy Spirit is moving, Go in peace, feel in peace, don't worry. And then there's that breath. He breathed on them. There's something powerful. It's like the creative breath at the beginning of time in Genesis 1. He breathed life into Adam and Adam came alive from the dust. The gospel of Matthew. Matthew was writing to all the Jewish people, the Hebrews. He's very detailed, logistical, pragmatic, very paying attention to the law. So he has very useful and practical terms for us that Jesus says before he departs. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
straightforward directions. Go into all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach the way of Jesus. And don't worry, I'm with you. My presence is with you. Again, there's that, don't be afraid. I'm with you to the very end of the age. The Gospel of Luke. He's our lone Greek writer. He's always culturally inclusive. I love it. He, did you know he has more words than even Paul in the New Testament? Luke, he wrote more than even Paul by 5,600 más o menos words. I don't know where that came from, más o menos. <laughs> That's more or less. Matthew, <laughs> you got it. They got it over there. Luke says it this way in Luke 24, 46. And Jesus said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That's what we proclaim. That's what we remember when we do communion. You are witnesses of all these things. And verse 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So Luke is addressing authority. He's talking about the nations again, and it's not geopolitical nations, nation states, it's people groups. So if you think about the Kurds, the Kurds are a people group that live in five different countries. Or you think about the Uyghurs in China on the northwestern border of China. They border, their, their people group borders five nation states, but they're a people group that we need to go to to tell them the good news of the gospel. And it's about forgiveness and repentance. And again, the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to fill you with power from heaven. And then Luke writes a whole book, the book of Acts, describing the Holy Spirit coming and how it operates. So the Gospel of Mark, my other favorite, he's the superhero guy. <laughs> he's all about action, power, signs, wonders. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's active. It's concise. It's like, let's get the job done. Let's go. If Mark was described as a part of speech for all of you grammar nerds out there, he would be a verb. It's action. Mark is about action. Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the world. Mark's also about hyperbole and, and bigness. Because we're not just going to people groups. We're going to all creation. <laughs> Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All my nature lover people are like, yes, Lance Loveday loves to go and speak to the trees and praise the Lord with the mountains. <laughs> I think he probably likes the Great Commission from the point of view of Mark. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We got to bring people the good news. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Okay, here comes the power. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This is the first place we hear this idea of new tongues, at least in the context of the New Testament. I don't know if I've researched this in 
connection with the Old Testament, but they're going to speak in new tongues. What does this mean? Go and preach to all creation. There will be signs and wonders. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to speak in new tongues. You're going to pick up snakes and drink poison and be okay. You're going to place hands on sick people, and they're going to get well. Okay, a few things. Each gospel writer is unanimous in emphasis. You need the Holy Spirit. Not one of them excludes the power of the Holy Spirit. In order to be a witness, to overcome fear, to operate in the power of God, we need the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. When we even begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we can get anxious. For for this reason, we often downplay the Holy Spirit and go to the security of our Bible. I wish I had a big, real Bible I could hold here. There's something so secure about the written word, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's good that we have the Holy Bible. But sometimes we, we have this phrase that we use, that we, we, we change the terms of the Trinity into God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And we leave the Holy Spirit out and left field. And we don't want to do that. It's God. It's but go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we don't like this Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a wild card. What's going to happen? It's a little too mysterious. It's a little dangerous. I think I get anxious because I know how easy it is to be presumptuous, controlling, simply out of line with power. This is like why we like the superhero movies. You know, we're keeping somebody away from the infinity stones. Keep the ring of power on Frodo. Nobody else gets it, right? Or who's got the nuclear codes? You know, we're like, ah, <laughs> no. It, it, it takes faith. It takes faith when we're talking about gifts and power. We've seen and heard scary stories about people taking the scripture out of context, right? Snake handlers, people drinking poison. We've seen people do presumptuous and foolish things, trying to prove God, prove themselves. We've seen this. But I don't believe Jesus ever intended drinking of poison or handling of snakes to be a test or a measure of faith. The protection of the Holy Spirit is promised in the context of the dangers of spreading the gospel to all the nations and all of creation. So I have an example. Here's my, this is my dad and my mom over here. This is my niece right here. My niece and her parents lived in Borneo, Indonesia, in the jungle. It was terribly dangerous. I felt like I could never stop praying for them. They lived there for the purpose of taking the gospel the message of the good news of the gospel to the people there. Early on, they had rough accommodations. They were not nice. And my parents were so adventurous. Early on, they went to visit them because they wanted to encourage them because it was hard being there alone. There were so many things. It was so, 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 so hard. I cannot tell you guys how hard it was to be there for the sake of the gospel. My parents go to visit them. And they're staying in this workshop 
and they're sleeping at night on an air mattress on the floor. The lights are out or going out, and all of a sudden they hear um, Ben saying, hey guys, don't move. And next thing you know it, he's getting help, and you hear whacking and banging and a bunch of noise because there was a cobra curled up right beside their bed. Thank you, Jesus. That kind of stuff happened all the time. All the time. God, the Holy Spirit was with them. I, I remember they would get hurt or get sick or just the trials they endured for the sake of the gospel. And it was not easy. And things didn't always come through the way you would hope or want. But they're alive. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is with them. <laughs> The witness endures. Um, that's what I think Jesus was talking about in that passage. There's power. from the, And there's another example of that in Acts 28, but I'm not going to get into it. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to preach the gospel to all peoples. And it's given to strengthen and help believers along the way. Mark 16 says, signs will accompany those who believe. One of the signs is tongues and interpretation, or two of the signs, tongues and interpretation. The Greek word for tongues is glossa. You hear it in scientific and research studies as glossolalia. It's having a language of uncertain affinity, the tongue by implication, a language, especially one naturally unacquired, so you don't get it by natural means. 1 Corinthians 13.1, Paul describes different languages as the language, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. This is a mysterious thing. Sometimes it's a language that other people speak. Sometimes it's like a heavenly language. This is how we describe it. It's mysterious. It feels foreign. The first example of it being the language of another people group is found in Acts 2. Could we go to Acts 2? I got lots of scriptures today. I'm going to start going through fast. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, like we are here today. Come on, Global Day of Prayer on Day of Pentecost and see all the nations here. It's so cool. You get to experience it today. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. At that time, there were, about, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done, the good news of the gospel. They stood there amazed and perplexed. It's okay. It's okay when we hear tongues. It's okay to be amazed and perplexed. We want to validate that feeling. 
Scripture does. <laughs> what can this mean? They asked each other. It's so cool. 3,000 people later that day are baptized and become part of the believing community. There's something about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is multicultural, inclusive of other peoples from Asia, Europe, Africa, the Middle East. They heard the message and it created wonder. Like, wow. Who is this Jesus? What is this good news? I want to stop for a minute for a story. Stanley, come on up. We prom well, we didn't promise this, but one of my hopes in this series is to have practical examples that will create wonder and amazement of seeing these things actually in practice. So Stanley is going to share a story with us. So my older brother and I got saved right out of high school. Well, he got saved right out of high school, and then I got saved a couple years later. My mom was born again, but my dad was raised in religion that emphasized relationship through the church to God rather than to God, what we would call being born again. Because of that, he really struggled with us, and we struggled with him. We were always preaching to him that he needed to get a personal relationship with Jesus to no avail. And uh, so I started going to a church, my family started going to a church that actually met in a storefront rather than a church. My father had promised his mother when he went to World War II that he would never go to a different church. So he would not set foot in a different church other than the one he was raised in. <clears throat> but one Christmas, we had a Christmas play and one of our daughters was the baby Jesus. They were all very young. I don't remember which. And so he's like, well, I can go to your church. You don't even you don't even have church in a church. It's just a, an old flower shop, which was true. So he comes and he watches the play. And, but before the play, we had some worship first. And then I felt like I had a message in tongues, which I didn't know at the time I wasn't actually supposed to do according to our administration, but I did it anyway. And I was pretty young in the Lord. And as I stood up, gave my message in tongues, someone else stood up and gave... Uh, an interpretation, which I don't remember what it was, and then I sat back down. That was in 1981, and in 1985, we'd come down here in 83, we were living here, 1985, 87. Yeah, we came in 83, but in 1985, my father called me on the phone and said, hey, Stan, just wanted to let you know that I gave my life to the Lord today. Yeah. And I, after jumping around the kitchen and screaming and yelling and all that kind of stuff for a while, I said, so what prompted that? He goes, you remember when I came to your church for that Christmas play and you stood up and spoke in Navajo? <laughs> and I know none of my sons could barely speak English, let alone <laughs> know another language. I knew right then and there that the Jesus you and Jim were talking about is different than the Jesus I had. And he got saved. Now, as it is, my dad was in World War II, and he drove a truck for Navajo code talkers. So his best friend coming out of the war was a Navajo, who he went into business with driving truck, so he knew Navajo. Now, I have no idea whether I actually spoke Navajo or like that scripture said, they heard them speak in their language. We don't know whether they actually spoke those languages, 
Maybe the Holy Spirit translated what they were saying into, I don't know. And I don't know whether I spoke Navajo, but I do know that the message in tongues brought about the salvation of my father, Yeah, which is just awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. I have a more recent example. Last year, I was at a worship festival called David's Tent in the UK, and people from all over the world come to this worship festival. It's a three-day worship event, and people um, volunteer, and so they all speak all these different languages and are all these different cultures, and one, they called a volunteer's team builder, and one team builder was praying for another team builder and didn't know how to pray, and they started speaking in tongues. And the other team builder looked up at him and I tried to get the details. I emailed the people in charge of the team builders to try and remember what countries were represented, but I didn't get a hold of them in time. And they said, he's praying for this one person in tongues. And the other guy's like, you just told me like how to move and what to do and give me a word of wisdom in my own language. I'm like, Lord, how incredible is that? Sometimes we have to, <laughs> we, we always wise, we always use our brains. God never wants us to bypass wisdom, but sometimes our own logic, our own wisdom can get in the way of God's spirit working. And so we want to give place to the Holy Spirit in this place to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Okay, a couple other stories. We're going to fast forward from the book of Acts. Oh, by the way, 1 Corinthians 14, 22, if you want scripture and verse, says that tongues are um, supposed to be a sign for the unbeliever. So that's exactly what happened to Stanley's dad. Um, so in the book of Acts, you see the gospel spreading like wildfire. <laughs> Wherever the spirit goes, people from every strata of society, lots of different people groups are baptized in water and baptized in the spirit, often with the sign of tongues. So you just see these tongues accompanying the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get into a church in Corinth. The apostle Paul goes off to Corinth. And he brings the gospel there. Now, Corinth was known for, um, it's a coastal town, lots of business, lots of trade, lots of idol-worshiping temples, and the gospel profoundly affects it. But a while after it's been established there, Paul's off into another city ministering the gospel, and he hears rumors about what's going on back in Corinth. And he hears that Corinth is in chaos. The church in Corinth is in chaos. It's off kilter. There's, there, there's some things that need to be, let's, let's, let's figure some things out here. So the whole book of 1 Corinthians is about a divisions with different leaders. Um, sexually, they've lost all restraint. One of the guys sleeping with his mother-in-law. There's just all sorts of confusion and practices that are harmful um, they're having trouble backing out of idolatry. There's confusion with how to handle idolatry in the city. Um, they've forgotten about and even rejected the power of the resurrection. It's like, oh, Paul's like, I got to write to them. We got to get back on course over there in Corinth. So he writes this letter called 1 Corinthians. It's his first letter. Chapters 11 through 14 talk about their gatherings. What happens when they get together like this? And how they're loving one another and caring for one another in their gatherings. 
1 Corinthians eleven seventeen is specifically about the Lord's Supper and how they take communion. Paul goes so far to say, it sounds like you are doing more harm than good in the way you're meeting. So it's like, okay, let's figure this out. So I've done my own little illustration. We want to put up this silly illustration. There you all go. Sometimes I think we remember things, even if they're silly, that you won't hear from me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about how we are one body with many parts, and we have different unique gifts. Chapter 13 is about love. Love anchors the use of all spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. Gatherings. Chapter 14 is about how the gatherings happen. He's like, don't be confusing or distracting. Build each other up. So you know how, have you ever heard the criticism sandwich? Like you give a compliment, you give a critique, you give a compliment. (laughs) That's what we learn in business or life. Like to encourage one another and build each other up. This is the love sandwich. Like we're one body, many gifts. We've got to have love, like that double stuffed Oreo in the middle. And then we got to figure out how we practice these giftings. I'm going to talk about this real quick. Remember last week I recommended we read Romans 12? Did y'all read it? Yeah, you did, right? This week, read 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Maybe consider listening to the BibleProject.com podcast series on the Holy Spirit. Maybe watch the videos about Corinthians on the Bible Project. But let's go ahead to 1 Corinthians 12. So in, the, in 1 Corinthians 12, we have this, this image. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Then in verses four through seven, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Last week, we talked about going to a gifttest.org and Andy did that. He's like, these are my gifts. He came in today and he's like, look at, I'm, this is my spiritual gift. And this is my spiritual gift. And that's what we want to figure out. That's what we want to do in this place. And we want to be like, okay, Andy, how can I encourage you in those gifts? How can we receive you here among us with those gifts? It's so cool. So that's Corinthians 12. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to save chapter 13 for a bit. And I'm going to go into chapter 14 about gatherings. So first Corinthians 13 is all about love, 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 love. And we're going to circle back that to that in a bit, but first Corinthians 14, one opens with this follow the way of love. He's just been talking about love for a whole chapter and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. So as we go into talking about how we operate in the gifts together, there should be this eagerness in us, this eagerness to be used by the Spirit. It's something cool. Like think about how excited your kids are on Christmas morning to open those gifts, to discover what is in there. 
That's how I feel about the gifts of the spirit. I came down from my office upstairs down into this auditorium, just like, I'm excited. We're talking about the gifts of the spirit. It's like Christmas morning for me. (laughs) Eagerly desire the gifts. We may not always know how to use them. The gifts may seem a little scary to us, and that's okay if we're perplexed. That's okay if we have different understandings of how to use them. But let's eagerly desire the gifts. Jesus is here saying, don't be afraid. My peace is with you. I can can help you walk through this. I can help you use these gifts, these power tools. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 15. So this is a little later in the chapter. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my understanding. So there's this place for both. There's a place for singing in the spirit, and there's a place for singing with understanding. It's mysterious. It's fun to experiment with and try out. Then in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40, so my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So how do we do this? What does this mean? There's a couple different ways this looks. If you stand up here next to me and worship, which please do, I would love it if somebody would like to sit up on the front row with me. You're all invited, just so you know. But if you're sitting next to me in worship, you might hear me singing in tongues because I love it. It's just something I grew up with. It's something I've learned and it benefits my spirit. But you won't hear me very often giving a public word in tongues because I don't always feel like that's the way God has gifted me. I don't always feel like it's the time for that. And so I usually just keep it to myself so that I'm not a distraction or confusing to people around me. But every once in a while, we in our midst will hear a gift in tongues here. And Sharon, why don't you come on up? Sharon is one of the people in our midst who feels like God gives her a gift in tongues upon occasion. So I've asked Sharon to share with us what that looks like for her and how she practices it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's different. Um, Normally it goes like this. I'm sitting in worship and, uh, uh, you know, normally I'd say, God, use me whatever way you want to. So it's that desire. And um, then every now and then I would just, it's, it's like I'm not thinking about tongues or anything like that. And all of a sudden I go, I have a word and a message in tongues. And it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until I come up and use the microphone. And so um, that's how it normally goes. I mean, I can sit on it a little while and uh, it just depends on what's happening in worship and so it, that's how it is for me. It's just this prompting of the Holy Spirit. And 
I have always just believed that God would have an interpretation because I've not had the interpretation to my tongues. And I've been a believer for 47 years and been used in this message of tongues <laughs> for as long as that. And so uh, I just, I'm grateful for people that are used with interpretation and Jerry is sitting over there. He's been used in interpretation of the tongues that I've brought and other people have through the years as well. So just that's how it is for me. It's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's me stepping out in faith. I remember once um, giving a message in tongues and um, a new believer was sitting here in our midst and he turned to uh, the person sitting next to him and said, did you hear that? And he audibly heard God speak to him, the interpretation to what I was giving. And um, someone else got up and came and gave the interpretation. And um, it was exactly the same as he had heard. So that built his faith as a new believer to know that God had given him that gift of uh, an interpretation of tongues. So, yeah, that's Thank it. You. Thank you so much. I know how courageous. Yeah. We're so thankful for both of those stories. They take so much faith. They take trust. They take courage. But you know what? They're built on love. They built on love. Real practically, real quick before I talk about love, we often have a person sitting here, Stanley or Mark or Leslie or Sharon, and they're facilitating this microphone. So not anybody can just come anytime because we have order and we have, we, we care about distraction and all of that, but you come up and you talk with them and you say, I feel like God has given me a word of knowledge. God has given me a prophecy. God has given me a tongue and you can come up and say, you know, should I give it? And they'll help you with the timing in conjunction with whoever's leading worship because we want to do this, you know, for the benefit of us all, but it's okay to practice here. This is, this is a teaching hospital. This isn't a, um, a, a finishing hospital. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you get to come here and, and shadow people and we get to make mistakes. We sometimes make mistakes, guys. Actually, we always make mistakes all, all the time, but we have this thing called love that anchors the gifts of the spirit. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the good double stuff in the middle. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my own body to hardship that I can boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Guys, it doesn't matter if we speak in tongues or not, if we don't have love. It doesn't matter if we can fathom mysteries and we're the smartest people in the room, if we don't have love. It doesn't matter if we have faith without love. It doesn't matter if we have wealth that we give away without love. It doesn't matter if we sacrifice our own bodies, if we don't have love. Without love, we gain nothing. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I am nothing. The message says, I am bankrupt without love. 
This place, I think, is going to be the richest place in the world because of the love. Because of the love. I love uh, Kay Rudd said this the other day in one of our classes. She works with the Vine Institute. It's like a seminary. They're training people. And um, they say, this is one of the things they say when they're teaching people the Bible. They say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care. And then Ray Lynn Longhat loves to quote Maya Angelou. I've learned that people forget what you, will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. There's some wisdom there. Paul didn't just say this to the Corinthians. He said it to the Galatians. The only thing, can we get the next slide, please? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Without love, we get nowhere. So uh, could we get the worship team up, please? Um, here's what we know about tongues and interpretation. Over and over again in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there's a sign of tongues. We know that it's a gift to be given, received, and used. It's a supernatural ability, not by our own works, to speak in unknown languages. In a public setting and gathering, we need interpretation for tongues. And it's for the purpose of telling the good news to all creation and so we can help one another. It's not for personal influence or show or to prove anything. It's a gift, so we don't force gifts on anyone, right? People get to receive them or desire them. It's for the purpose of loving and serving others. So we're going to sing one song to finish or whatever. We can just play instrumental music if you like. How about we do that? Okay. Instrumental music. And this is for the purpose of um, Emily and Sharon are going to come over here, please. And they're going to be available to pray for people. And Lance and Cindy, could you guys come up here, please? This, there's a few awkward moments where they get to stand here in front of all of us, but they don't mind. They're serving. <laughs> I asked them ahead of time. I did not put them on the spot. Um, if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in your life, you can come up and ask these teams to pray for you and they will pray for you. If you would like the gift of tongues, if you'd like to step into the gift of tongues and interpretation or any of the gifts, they will pray for you to receive that. Because we want this to be a place where we can operate in those gifts. Um, so I think with that, we're finished. So Lord, you guys all want to stand with me for a minute? <laughs> Thank you for playing music for us. I did ask them ahead of time. <laughs> I don't want to force anything on anybody either. Holy Spirit, let this be a place where the languages of the nations are spoken and people experience the wonder and the goodness of salvation. Where many tribes and many tongues 
experience the Holy Spirit. Let this be a place of salvation, of signs and wonders that bring people to Jesus. And Lord, let this be a place of strength and encouragement for your followers. Lord, we pray that there be a fresh outpouring of your spirit in this place, a fresh outpouring of signs and wonders. And Lord, even in the waiting, even when we don't see it, we're going to keep asking it, asking for it because those were your parting words to us. We're going to press into it. So we just um, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us. I bless this church family that we will go in the power of the Holy Spirit, the wonder of the Lord this week, and the strength of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you would like prayer, we also have this table over here where I believe Jerry and Carolyn, we have that table. We have Sharon and um, Emily, and we have Lance and Cindy. So you can get prayer from any of these spots. Amen. God bless you.